Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, let's just read just a moment. Do you realize what he's done? See, we were, we, we were hopeless without him. A hopeless case. An empty place. If not for grace. We were helpless, hopeless without him. Not were, we are. Why? Because, and you he made alive who were dead. In trespasses and sins. And when she once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. How many? All. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And were by nature... Children of wrath, just as the others. <laughs> but God. <laughs> Somebody ought to stop and preach that a minute. But God, who is rich in mercy. Let me remind you, the mercy of God. Mercy is that God doesn't give me what I deserve. There's not a person in this room that God has given you what you deserve. If he had given you what you deserve, you would not be here. I don't mean at, at 11477 Highway 12. I mean you would not be here if you were given what you deserve. And you don't have just a little mercy. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. Think of it. Not after you got it all cleaned up and right, you can't. Because of his great love that even while we were dead in trespasses. Trespasses means your sin. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up together and made us sit together at heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Let's just talk about that one a second. Mercy. He did not give me what I deserve. He's rich in mercy. According to the riches of his grace. Grace is when that he gives me what I don't deserve. Mercy, he doesn't give me what I do deserve. Grace, he gives me what I don't deserve. And you need them both. I need them both. We all need them both. It's a balance. Mercy and grace. In the, that in the ages to come he might show the riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says this, you know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace, you didn't deserve it. 
The offer of salvation. You don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. For by grace we are saved. How? Through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in what? Good works. We're not saved by good works. We're created for good works. Don't be confused. Say it again. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. Not not of ourselves. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. He'll change who you are. We... I come the moment, we, every song has built up to the grace of God. Every time you try to get your mind around the grace of God, it will be more than you can comprehend. It'll be what you think and then some. And sometimes it's not what you think at all. What is grace? It's a power agent of, of God. It's, it's I don't deserve it, but he freely gives it to me. And let's talk about some of the things it does. We need to understand in the world that we live in the grace of God. The very first place it was mentioned, the grace. See, everybody, a lot of people think that the grace of God is a new covenant idea. That it it came with the manifestation of Jesus Christ when the word became flesh. But grace is just a part of God's nature. It's who he is all the way back in the beginning. The very first place you're going to find it is all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. Let's look there real quick. Genesis chapter 6. Let's just begin in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, the his being man. Today you got to make sure you get your pronouns right. (laughs) Amen or oh me. The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of man's heart was only evil continually. That didn't take long. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. What a mystery that is. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I've made them. This doesn't imply a mistake of God. It implies the heaviness and the grief of sin of man and and its separation that it causes. All men on the earth, all of them at this point, wicked, save Noah and his family. 
I'm going to destroy it all. But verse 8 begins with that wonderful conjunction, but again. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. For it's by grace you are saved, through faith, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. What a gift is the, the grace of the living God. Before I even go on, let me mention something. Luke 17, and Matthew 24, Luke 17, Jesus himself speaking. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. They'll be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Doing every, living corruptly, violent, but tomorrow will be like the day before. Luke 17 says, as it was in the days of Lot. Again, perversion and violence and a corrupt earth. He said, it's going to be the same way just before I come. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's no words of man that could really and adequately describe the grace of God. It truly is amazing. Right now, every, every man of Adam's race, to some degree, is living under the grace of God. If you've got breath in your lungs, he gave it to you. When you've blasphemed, when you've cursed him, when you've rebelled, when you were never his, when you hated him, he left that breath in your lungs, you're still here. You're li- you don't deserve that. It's a gift and the grace of God. It's God giving you what you didn't deserve. And Job, he told us, you heard me say it, and Job, he told us, if I would withhold my spirit and my breath from this earth, it says all flesh would die together. It's the grace of God that you're even alive. You don't deserve it. There's things we do deserve, People don't, they get up, you know how many people get upset with God today when their life is not going right? When most of the time, they're either, they're either got, the devil made me do it, like, what's his name, Flip Wilson? (laughs) Devil made me do it. Or you blame God for it, when all along, it was your boneheaded decision. Cause and effect, reaping and sowing. But you're still here. Devil gets all kinds of credit for things he didn't do. Quit giving him credit. He don't need any. He's a junkyard dog. He's mean. He, he's your enemy. He kills, steals, and destroys. He don't need your help. God gets blamed for things. Mad at people mad at God for sometimes just life. Because you know what? Life is just that. We live in a fallen world. Life don't always go our way. We've had all these prosperity pimps all of our life telling you're going to be healthy and wealthy. 
And then the word doesn't say any of that. They prostituted the gospel. That's why I always choose to call them pimps because that's what they are. They're prostituting the gospel. He never, he's never promised that you wouldn't have trouble. In fact, he said the very opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's not about now. He never told us that it, that it wouldn't be hard. He said it would be worth it. Gerald Crabb, the great songwriter, he wrote about it. He said he never promised that the cross would not get heavy or that the hill would not be hard to climb. He never promised our victories without our fighting. But he said help would always come in time. He said remember when you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in. He says just hold on. Just hold on. Somebody just hold on, for our God will show up, and he will take you through the fire again. You know, what he brings you to, he'll bring you through. That's a fact. What he brings you to, he'll bring you through. All through this word, you see the grace of God at work. Sometimes you don't recognize it. Whenever, whenever Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and wanted to sell him into slavery and did, when they lied about him, he found favor in the king's house, but then had his wife accuse him of rape. He goes to prison, and when he gets there, he makes friends, but they forget about him. We'll remember you, and we begin it. They didn't. And all along, this looks like a terrible situation, but all along, it was a setup because there was a famine coming, and there needed to be somebody in place in Pharaoh's house because, see, Pharaoh started having dreams. And there was a man in the pit that had been through the palace and now he was in the pit that could interpret a dream. And and finally, one of those people that had been in the prison with him said, oh, there's a guy back in the prison. He'll know what your dream's about. And he said, bring him to me. And when when he told Pharaoh what was going to happen, that there would be seven years of plenty, that there would be seven years of famine, so we better plant now so we can so we can fill the barns up for later that that famine did come at this point Joseph was in that was second in command in the house of Pharaoh his brothers that had sold him into slavery were now coming to him and didn't even know who he was because their family was going to starve to death and he was able to provide for them in the whole country because he could hear from God and then when the, brothers, when, when the brothers came back and he revealed himself, he said, I'm, I'm your brother, I'm Joseph, it's me. They were afraid of him. He said, he, when our father dies, he's going to kill us. And when they come back, he said, you don't have to fear me. He said, listen, gentlemen, brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You know, listen to what he just said. He didn't say God turned it to good. He said God meant it for good. From the very beginning, every situation that they were in, where they couldn't even see it, it was hard, and all along, it was the grace of God in operation to save a whole nation. For what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Romans tells us that all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's not, that's not a promise for everybody, that is His. 
All that for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When you love him, when you are his, he will take your good, your bad, your ugly, your ups, your downs, your tragedies, your successes, and he will use them for your good. That's the grace of God. You don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. There was no way back to God. It was an impossible situation. I was outside the covenant. You were outside the covenant. There's no Jews in this house. There was no way back to him. But even under the sacrificial system and the Jews, the lamb was about him. The lamb was about the lamb. It was, it was always by grace through faith. Always from the day one, by grace through faith. See, some people have this idea that grace is, 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 is God just, you sin, you just keep on sinning and God's grace has got it. That's not grace, that's presumption and assumption. Grace is not God, God blessing your sin and you just keep on living any way you want to. That's not grace. That's a mockery. That's, why, that's exactly what he was speaking to in Galatians when, when he began to talk about the, right, the, 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 the contradiction between the law that Peter was trying to back in, his hypocrisy. And, and God said, you know, we don't live that way under the law. We live by faith in the Son. He said, it's not about your goodness. It's not about your badness. It's about Him. You're in Him. And, he, and, and it's not, you can't be good enough. You can't be bad enough. And some people's going to take that as I'll live any way I want to because I can't be good enough. I can't be bad enough. And we just keep on living that way. And that's why Paul said that God is not mocked. You may fool people. You may fool your mama. You may fool your preacher. You may even fool yourself thinking you're living for God when you're mocking him. He says, God is not mocked. But whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you plant strawberries, you're getting strawberries. If you plant hate and discontent, you're going to get it back. I'm not talking about karma here. Karma is a, is a devilish doctrine about getting what you deserve. That's not grace. Karma is you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. Grace at times will... Uh, you better thank God that when you walk in the grace of God that sometimes God can cause a crop failure. Remember a little old lady back at home, Clyda Phillips. I heard her one morning in Sunday school. said people are living like, I just sow, 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 sow. I'll sow my wild oats. I'll live any way I want to. I'll sow, 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 and sow, sow, sow. And then they, when, the, when, the, when the crop starts coming in, they start praying to God, Lord, help me. Give me a crop failure. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Grace is a gift of God. You don't deserve it. There's some things we deserve. The wages of sin is death. You know what? You know that. You, wages means you earned it. There's a payday someday. But the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's a gift. It's the grace of God. See, I couldn't get back to him. You couldn't get back to him. But grace made a way. What is grace? It's God's power offered to you to be able to reconcile with him. He made, it's a gift of God. He didn't have to. I can't get to him. But because of grace, that's God's ability to bring me close through the blood of Jesus. I've told you many times, this church has heard me, you know, what in the world is grace? Well, unmerited favor. Yeah, I didn't deserve it, and it's favor. Well, what is favor? Well, it's grace. What in the world does that mean? 
When I'm needed, you know, when I ask for a favor, I've asked, have you ever asked for a favor? I always explain it this way. When I ask you for a favor, there's a reason I ask you for a favor. I, it's either because I don't have the know-how, I don't have the ability, I don't know what I'm doing. There's some people, when they go to fix things, you ought to admit you need grace because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> ask for a favor, somebody. When I ask you for a favor, I don't have, I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know who. Maybe I don't have, maybe I, don't, I can't afford it. Maybe I don't have time. There's a reason you ask for a favor. What is that? You're asking for somebody to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Is that right? When I ask, if I need a favor, I, Andrea, I need a favor. She says, you're on your own, bud. No grace or mercy with Andrea. She says, you're on your own. I ask her a favor. She, he says, sure, I got you. I say, what do you need? I tell him, well, I've got to be here, but I can't be here at the same time. Can you take care of this? Yeah, I got it. You know what he's going to do for me? He's going to do for me what I don't have the time or ability. I can't duplicate myself. I can't be two places. I can't do whatever he's going to do for me, what I can't do for myself. That's what God does when he gives you, offers you his grace. He, he offers you a way back. He offers you favor. He offers you salvation. He offers you the ability to live out of that mess that you're in. He, he, see, grace is, not, grace is not permission to sin. It's the ability not to. Because when, 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 his, when his favor comes in, he'll, he will cause you to have a different will. It says he's given us both the will and to do his good favor. So what it says, he's given. So what Paul wrote, he says, when you, get, when you live for him, when you're in him, when a man is in Christ, it says that he gives both the will, that changes your will, and to do, that's the ability, because you didn't have the want to or the ability before. Oh, you ain't hear me. You're not hearing me. You didn't have the ability or the want to. You know what grace does? It's the grace of God that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can even get to your heart. Oh, I don't think you understand because nobody's coming to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. There's nobody coming to him. There's nobody coming to him unless the Spirit of God pricks their heart where they will want him. The first thing that has to happen is the Spirit of God has to deal with you through the Word of God and let you know that you are a sinner. That's conviction. Conviction is when the love of God knocks on your door and it's not your mama preaching at you, it's not your grandma yelling at you, it's not daddy whipping your hind end trying to get you to conform. It, with convicting power of the Holy Spirit is when, the, when God himself comes to you through his word and you know that you're a sinner. That you know. No, the preacher didn't do it. It, it, it. it comes through the word. You need the preacher. Somebody's got to bring the word. Faith comes by hearing. How, how are we saved? By grace. What? Through faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. And you, what happens is that, it, see, grace comes through faith. And see, when the word goes out, faith begins to build because of grace. It's the grace of God that you even hear that word and say, whoa, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm separated from God. That's the grace of God. That it's, it's God's grace that you even care. Because you didn't before. It's God's grace. If he didn't deal with you, you wouldn't come. Not one person would come. It's the grace of God. See, I'm saved by grace through faith. God gives me the ability to even care about my eternal destination. To, to even realize that I'm separated from him and in need of a savior. Grace. But then it goes beyond that. 
Because see, man is separated from God by their sin. He's a holy God that can't look on sin, the Bible says. But then he tells us in Hebrews that we can come. He says we have a, we have a high priest who's passed through the heavenlies. That's what he says. And, and it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And because of him, he says, I can come boldly. Who? I can. I can. Somebody say, I can. I, because of him, this is the grace of God. Because of him, I can come boldly into the throne of grace. What, what, what kind of throne was it? Grace. What kind of throne is it? It's the throne of grace. Because of Jesus, I can come boldly to the throne of grace and do what? Obtain help. When? In my time of need. The grace of God. See, that grace is, God, the grace is not this loosey-goosey, I said a prayer when I was five and I lived like hell and God's got me. That's not grace. That's presumption. That's a lie. That's a lie. Grace is. But I'll tell you what else is a lie. That every time I fall, that God's angry with me. That every time I fail him, that I'm out of the picture. That every time that something goes wrong in my life, Jeff, that, that God rejects me. See, because see, I, I, he, he made me righteous. You know what I'm not? I'll tell you what I'm not. I'll tell you what you're not. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous, Scott. But he de he's declared me righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness. It's, it's something that was given to see, he, it was Righteousness is not earned or, or acquired. Righteousness is given. It's given. Wow. By grace. He says that he knew, remember, that he who knew no sin... Jesus became the sin offering as in my place that I might become that I it's me that I might become what the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus where am I righteous in Christ Jesus I have to be righteous or I can't come to the throne of grace but you know what I still am I'll tell you what you still are you're still a human being walking on earth in a fallen world with a sin nature that you're supposed, you were supposed to be striving towards holiness. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not, a, it's not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. And it says that we're created in Christ for what? To do good works. He changes who you are. But we're not there yet. Paul even talked about it. He's talking about living in, with, with a sin-free life, sinless perfection. Paul says, I've not attained that yet. But he said, but I, he said so I don't even worry about it. That's not what he said. He said, no, but I'm striving towards it. I'm pressing towards it. I'm reaching towards it. I'm pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I, I, my goal, I've set my face like a flint. My goal is on the prize, and I'm pressing towards it through the grace of God. See, it's a misunderstood thing. There's a, there's a lie that says live like hell, and God's got you. That's a lie. There's a lie that says that when you're his, every time you mess up, you might as well, you might, that's, it's why people give up. It's why people walk away. It's why people don't do it because they've got it in their mind that I, they, when they fail, they've been lied to. They've been given some religious jargon that says you messed up and God, God's mad at you. And you're, if, if, good thing you didn't get hit by a truck. Come on, somebody. 
Don't y'all look at me like that because you know it's true. You got, you've been put that mentality in your brain that, you, that somebody, that you, maybe you said something pretty terrible. Maybe you knocked somebody's lights out and it felt pretty good. Maybe you, after years you fell on your face and you're back at the bar last night. Pentecostal people don't know that God didn't throw you away. I'll go ahead and sit down while you catch your breath. You say, oh, you're preaching once saved, always saved. No, that's not what I'm preaching at all. I'm preaching that grace is bigger than that. I'm talking about, I'm talking God is bigger than that. The gift is bigger than that. He, you know, the psalmist said as a, as a father pities his children, that God pities us. He said he remembers that we're just dust. He's not talking about casualness. Remember, God's not mocked. He's talking about a grace that is greater. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. See, we don't even know in the church world today. I, I just wrote a little list down earlier. I got to thinking about it that most of our heroes of the faith that every pulpit preaches about couldn't even get credentials. Think about it. Well, some of you don't even know what that means. That, that they couldn't be an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God or the Southern Baptist or anybody else because of what they've done in their life. And there are heroes of the faith. I just told you the whole earth was wicked, all of them, corrupt to the core, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He says, it, God was sorry that he made them. He said, I am going to destroy them. And you know what grace does? Even in, the, even in the face of impending pronounced judgment that was coming, grace caused Noah to build an ark for the saving of it. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his household. By faith. Judgment had been pronounced and it was coming, but God did not judge what was already righteous. He saved us. Second Peter says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. People had how in the world because you know why? You know why I'm saying that? Because when Noah got after the ark, out of the ark. Uh, by the way, the ark is always a picture of, of being in Christ. Where was Noah at in the flood? In the ark. The ark was always a picture of being in Christ. And after he was in Christ, Matt, and after the waters receded. Noah went out and decided he, he was going to be good at farming and he planted a vineyard. And when he got some grapes, he thought, well, I wonder what we'd do if we smashed these and let them ferment. <laughs> Noah got drunk and naked. Well, that happens sometimes. There's some people, they get drunk, they just get naked. That's what the, is that what the Bible said? Bible says that Noah got drunk and he got naked. That's what it says. Then it says that Ham come in and he exposed his father's nakedness. But the other son, the righteous son, he, he, he not only wanted to see, that's what religious people do. He says, oh, you think daddy was something? He saved us all. Look at him now. He's in his tent drunk and he's naked. Come look at him. Come look at him. Spreading it to everybody. Come look. And the, and. Another picture of the other son says, oh, no, I'm not. He says, I'm not going to expose my daddy that saved me. He says, I'm going to back into the tent. I'm going to back in, and I'm going to cover his nakedness. That's grace. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's grace. 
See, religion, religion will expose your nakedness. Grace will back into it and cover you. He's not talking about a cover-up for a crime. He's talking about he's, that, that, he's, that it's undeserved. You know what? Noah had done it. He was, he was drunk and naked. And uh, something happened in between there. There's a lot of argument about what happened because Noah began to, to pronounce a curse. Because the Bible says when he saw what had happened to him. What had happened to him. Something was going on with him. There's a lot of people that think Cain, that Cain had come in and done something sexual with his grandfather. The Bible doesn't really say. But it does say something happened to him. And think about all, and just think about that. Think about it. 60 minutes I found that out. Y'all all right? Y'all with me? The first man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord went into the ark and came out of the ark. That's after. Got drunk and naked and no telling what all happened. And they had, they had an executive presbytery meeting and they stripped his credentials and put him on probation for two years. And the rest of the church just wouldn't even come back because did you hear what Noah did 25 years ago? Oh, I, know, oh, I, forget, I forgive him, but I, I can never follow his ministry again. Somebody pass out right now. Y'all think that's an agenda. No, that's the word. That's grace. I, I just went to Hebrews 11. I started looking at them Hebrews 11 stuff a little bit. You know, by faith, Abraham. Remember? When his body was dead. And Sarah, when her body was dead. Remember? Started talking about Abraham. Who is that? The father of our faith. Remember? Abraham believed God. Father of our faith. Abraham was a liar. There's twice that he took Sarah with him somewhere. And because he feared the king, he says, that's not my wife. This is my, this is my sister. And one time the king was going to take him for himself sexually and, and God revealed it to him that that was somebody's wife and he, he brought him in he said why'd you lie to me he said are you trying to get God to kill me what's wrong with you boy look in there it's in there twice God gave him a promise he said I'm going to give you a son in your old age he said it's going to in your sin, it's going to be like the sand of the sea the stars of the sky Abraham said he believed it Sarah laughed by faith Abraham by faith Sarah they're in the hall of fame they got tired of waiting. Sarah said, go, go, go take, what's her name? Hagar. Help God out. By the way, that was sin. It wasn't even about the sexuality. It wasn't even, that, that wasn't even a thing in that day. It was, you know what the problem was? Is whatsoever is not a faith, unbelief. The Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Well, that was the first meeting of the executive presbytery. Then by faith, Noah, I just told you about him. And it goes down and says, we don't even have time to talk about David. Oh, David. Man after God's own heart. Wow. You know, they're probably going to have to rewrite that. Y'all ain't even hearing me right now. I'm talking, I'm talking like we talk. I'm talking like when we have our little meetings. Are y'all with me? You don't even know what I'm talking about. 
God, you know, says God, that God was going to raise someone from the, that was from the root of Jesse, from the lineage of David. That there was going to come a savior from the bloodline of David. And said, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. He said, of your kingdom, he said, there will be no end. He said, that Messiah is going to sit, I, and the, he is going to sit on the throne of David, established forever. What did they call Jesus on earth? Da- Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And he had an affair and had her husband killed. And one time he ran off and, and fought with the enemies against the armies of God. And they come in and they take in their wife and their children and all their stuff and burned down Ziglag and, and didn't know what to do. He says, well, God, I've really messed up now. Shall I, shall I go and pursue? And, and God said, go, pursue and recover all. Go do it. That, that, by the way, that's the heart of God right there. Go and pursue and recover all. That's the heart of God. That's grace. You say, oh, we're talking about, oh, you can live anyway. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. That was not the heart of David. That was not the heart of David. Oh, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Wash me that I might be clean. Purge me that I might, that I might be cleansed. Remove not thy spirit from me that I may, that I may and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Does that sound like a guy guy that was mocking God? Hero by faith. Samson. Samson. I'm talking about how I'm in Hebrews 11. Time would not permit me to tell of Barak, David, Gideon. Gideon was a coward when he started out. Samson. Samson not only was running around with foreign women and breaking his Nazarite vow and all that stuff, he was flaunting it in God's face, bringing her back over and over, playing games. He was playing games. He was playing games with God and everything. Oh, if you bind me with ropes, if you do this, if you do that, finally, if you cut my hair, it says he, he jumped up, shook himself, did not know that the Spirit of God had departed on him, and they come, they captured him, gouged his eyes out, put him grinding at a mill like an ox. He was the mockery of, of the kingdom. And they were bringing him out to mock him some more one day. And they brought him back and he brought this little boy beside him. He says, hey, hey, young man, would you take me over to the columns of this place and just set my hands on it? He said, yes, sir. He's blind as a bat because he's had his eyes. See, that's what sin will do. It'll blind you. And, had his, and, and he got over there and he got, he got, there's a crowd around, but he got along with God in the prayer meeting. And he said, God, I'm a messed up mess. He said, but if one more time, just one more time, just once, just one more time, if just one more time you would send your spirit, if just one more time you would use me, I will avenge all of Israel. Just one more. You know, because what it said about, what it said about Samson in the book of Judges said he began to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And when he did, the power of God come on him. See, I don't, I don't believe Samson was particularly buff. I really don't. See, that's flesh. I don't believe he was that ripped and cut guy that you see pictures. I don't believe that at all. That's flesh. Because when Samson was strong, it was when the power of God came on him, when the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And he, he put his hands on both of those columns and he pulled the whole place down. It wasn't suicide. It was a sacrifice. 
And it says that he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. And it says that he, just like it was prophesied of him, that he began to deliver Israel from the Philistines by faith. You don't, y'all don't even hear what I'm saying. There's grace that came into these guys' life. The grace of God was able to keep them even in their failures. They wasn't mocking God. There's not a hint of mockery. God is showing you that his grace is bigger than your human failure. His grace is sufficient. When Paul said that Paul, the murderer and the persecutor that was, at, that was consenting to the death of Stephen... Let me tell you something. There is going to come a day when this thing is over that when Paul walks triumphantly in, in the millennial reign that the, that, the blood, that the voices of the blood of the people that he killed and persecuted are going to cheer his name as a hero of faith. Why? Because of the grace of God. He, turned, he met him on a road and knocked him down and blinded him so that he could see. And when he called him, he told him what he was going to suffer from the beginning. And Paul preached anyway and gave his entire life through all kinds of trouble, all kinds of affliction, untold trouble and affliction. And Paul had struggles. He says there was sent an angel from Satan to buffet me. Tormented him everywhere he went. He said, I prayed three times that God would take it away. Three times. He said, I I believe Paul could pray. How many of you believe Paul could pray? I believe Paul could pray. I believe he knew how to touch God. Because some people think, you know, anything you ask for, see, see, it's got to be in God's will. Anything you ask according to my will, I will do it. James said, if you, if, you, if you ask and you didn't receive, that you've prayed amiss. Paul got hold of God and he says, God, three times, remove this thing from me. And God answered him. How I many you know God answers? You know what God's answer was? No. There's some people who don't think that no is a valid answer. How I many of you have got kids? Grandkids. They ask you something, and you say, no. Is no a valid answer? You better know it's a valid answer. No, y'all ain't, y'all ain't hear me. No is a valid and solid answer. You know why? Because you can see things they can't see. No things you don't know. You can see around corners. You've lived longer than them. You say, no. No. Paul says, Why? Surely it would have to be God's will for that to stop. You're thinking. What did God say to him? He said, Paul, I'm not going to do it. And there was a reason. Paul wrote it. He said, God, God said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for what you're dealing with. You don't need me to remove it. You need to lean into my grace. 
my power to do in you and through you and for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't endure this by yourself, but you can, in me, you can. My grace is sufficient. And Paul went on to understand why. You know what? God don't always tell you why. See, we're people that think they've got to have the why to everything. Why? God never told Job why. I remind you that every once in a while. We know more about Job than Job knew about Job. God never told Job why. Job didn't even know that God suggested it. All the, God, Job had all kinds of questions. God didn't seem to mind and got down to the end. And Job says, I really want to know. Tell me. And, and, Job, and God said, okay, I'll tell you. When, I'll answer. I'll tell you about what, what's going on with you when you tell me this. He said, who hung, God said, who hung the earth in this space? And it stays there. Who put the sun in the sky, the moon in the sky, the stars, and they stayed there? Who laid out the land? Who divided the seas? Who told the ocean it could only go this far? Job, who? Tell me, who? You know what Job said? Never mind. You're God, and I'm not. God's grace is amazing. It's amazing. And he tells us when we're in him in John chapter 1, it says, as many as receive him, Jesus gave you the power to be, the power, that's, the, that's grace. He gave you the power to become the children of God. And then he goes on to tell you when you're living as the children of God that he will give you grace upon grace. Abundant. He just keep piling it on. He gave us a gospel of mercy and the promise of woman's seed. That's grace. He gave us a ministry of mercy and raising up a succession of people to preach the gospel, to keep it in front of people. That's God's grace. He gave us the spirit of mercy that will strive within us. You don't understand that. That's a constant reminder of our mortality and yet even giving us a reprieve from the sentence of destruction. That's grace. To the believer, <laughs> he accepts us just like he accepted Noah. That's grace. He preserves us from destruction. Grace. Provides safety and deliverance against the coming destruction. Grace. Grace is not punitive. Grace is always restorative. Grace is keeping. Grace is God working in us and we don't deserve it. It's when my, when my, when my faith, see, that's why the enemy is always after your faith. Peter, remember him? The coward that was always mouthing off but couldn't, but couldn't deliver. I'll die for you. I don't even know him. Receive you the Holy Spirit. Then the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell on it all. And the same guy, when they said, what means this? It's the same guy stood up. It said, and Peter stood and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. 
And he began to tell you what all Joel said about that in the last days I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions. Your young men shall dream dreams. Upon your men's servants and on your maid servants I will pour out of my spirit. <laughs> then St. Peter, he continues, he said, and he went and talked about this Jesus whom you crucified has been made most Savior and Lord. No longer afraid. Next day, they haul him in. Tell him, quit preaching in his name. You're turning this city upside down. And it says, and Peter and John, being full of the Holy Spirit, stood to those same the people that could crucify him, that could kill him, that could beat him, that could destroy him. It says the same Peter stood and declared, I cannot help but preach in his name. I want you to know something because in Galatians, it was the same Peter that got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, preached boldly in the streets that his shadow would pass over people and God would heal them. Now he's in the book of Galatians undermining the gospel with the law. Free with the, free with the Gentiles under the law with the, with the Jews. A flat out pure hypocrite as an apostle destroying the gospel and Paul come to him in front of everybody in the church and pointed to his face and told him that he had to stop and repent or you would destroy the gospel they should have took his credentials Matt you're not hearing me they should have disqualified I'm talking about what how we are but what's true are you seeing it Why did he do it? Because the Bible says because Peter was to be blamed. It wasn't a miscommunication. It wasn't any of those things. Peter did it and it was wrong. And it was after he was all the things. He was a man of faith and power. And now he's a problem. And you know what God didn't do? He didn't throw him away. You know why? Because Peter repented. You know what the difference in between, you know what the difference in Judas and Peter is? Only one thing. They've done exactly the same thing. They've done it. Betray, denial. You know, Judas went out and hung himself and his guts spilled out on the ground. Full of the devil. What's the difference in Judas and Peter? Repentance. Grace. I need him. I need him. Because sometimes I fail. See, I'm not perfect, but in him, I'm righteous. Because he is. I can never be holy, and neither could you. But God said that... You should be holy as he is holy. Because without holiness, no man shall see God. How in the world can I be holy? I'm in him. The grace of God. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt like, maybe you've never even understood it or began to understand it. Or maybe you're on the other end up and you just feel like you've used it. Have you ever felt like you've just used it up? I'm going to tell you, this very week, there has been a day or two that I felt like I had flat used it up. 
I'm telling you at the breaking point. How? That's, that's just true. But you know what? It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. Anew every morning. Lamentation says, great is thy faithfulness. So yeah, I felt like I've used it up, but it, grace is, His grace is amazing. Never punitive. You know what? When, when, when next time Jesus saw Peter after he denied him and all that, you know what? He, he didn't say, Peter, let me tell you something, buddy. I hauled you around for all the years of my ministry. You see me do miracles. You see me feed the people. You see me open blind eyes, heal the sick, and raise the dead. What in the world are you thinking? You couldn't even talk to me about a little girl in front of everybody? Peter, I've had enough of you. Peter, if you're going to come back to me, I need you to write a, a, a 50,000 word essay on why you're sorry. I need you to go stand before the Sanhedrin and tell them why you're sorry. I need you to take about two or three years off of ministry and, and think about why you're sorry. And, and, when, and when, we, when all that's done, we'll bring you back and decide if we think you were sorry. Woo! And I think they're pretty sorry. Y'all ain't even hearing me. When you think you've used it up, he giveth more grace when burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when labors increase. To added affliction, his added mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. You can't use him up. You can't use him up. He's an inexhaustible Wealth, he's rich in mercy and grace. The church wants, I've, I've, I've told you many times, you can stand with me, that we all find grace for ourselves and our mama, but not much for anybody else. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, just me. All about it when it's our own, but we don't know how to give it. I thank goodness. God, I just thank God that there's no end to it. The old slave trader that was so corrupt and, and debauchery that he would troll for sharks with the babies of people on the slave ships. So in darkness that you could never have seen the light. And one day, wrapped around the mass of a ship in the storm where they were, thought they were lost, he was back at his mother's knee when he was hearing about a man named Jesus. And John Newton wrote those words, those immortal words that everybody knows today that says, amazing grace. How sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me. See, we have such stupid self-images today because everything's taught about self that we're, we feel good about ourselves and our sin. But he said, see, I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I love, there's no better, no greater line ever been written. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I might add that through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. And I have. Grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Yes. While I'm at it, because it tells the story, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace... Grace taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Grace is an incredible thing. It's offered to one, it's offered to all. Somebody this day is the first time you've ever heard an adequate representation of what Jesus has done through his grace. And it's the first time you've ever heard that you can make it because of his grace. You can live for him, and not only can you make it, you can make it abundantly. Find amazing grace, Brandon. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your blood, for the cross that made the way back. Lord, I thank you that you're redemptive, that you restore. Lord, that you said that your word says that because of your grace that I've been caused to be seated together with you in heavenly places. The Lord, when I pray that God don't have to bend his ear way down, he can just lean over because we're seated with him. And Lord, this is the confidence that I have in you, that if we ask anything according to your will, that you hear us. And if we know that you hear us, then we know that we have what we've asked for. And Lord, your word declares that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, have your will today, we pray.